Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I picked the right game last week. It was in Las Vegas to bet on the Brewers. I, the, the game I bet on was the game that they snapped the Cardinals' winning streak, one four to nothing. So once some money on that game. I, I, on the one hand, I appreciate what Craig Council saying in our, our clip there where he says, well, you know, we, we clinched the division early, so it doesn't matter if we're kind of staggering into the playoffs having lost 10 out of the last 14 games. And I, I get it because, you, you know, you're right, the games were, were meaningless in the last week, and all that really matters is what happens the first game on Friday. And we don't know the time of the game, but we do know you're going to be able to hear it here on WTMJ. So on the one hand, he, he's right. At the same time, it, it you can't help but think it's a little bit troubling when you just kind of mail it in for the last, you know, 10 out of the last 14 games. And it's it's pretty clear watching some of those games that that's what they did. And I understand that they were playing second-team players in many cases. I mean, whenever they bring Keston Hera back, that tells you that they're not necessarily serious about trying to win this year. But it's... I. I you don't know what's going to happen on Friday, and I, Craig Council certainly knows how to run a team. It's just watching them play bad baseball and play as lethargically as they did. You, you would have liked to see if they were kind of going into the into the playoffs. You would have liked to have seen them perhaps, I, I don't know, just maybe play a little bit better. I understand rest is important. And again, if they end up winning the Atlanta Braves series and sweeping the Braves in three games, the last two weeks are going to be completely forgotten about. So time will tell. As I mentioned, I was in Las Vegas, and I'm a big Vegas guy. This is the first time that I've been there in probably about a year and a half. We went there because it was my wedding anniversary, and my brother-in-law Ken it was he had a zero year birthday and we decided to celebrate there and as it turned out my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law was also their anniversary so we, we went out there and had a very nice time the thing that struck me and this is a problem all over I'm aware of and we're gonna actually talk about it a little bit later on in the show it, Vegas w- was just dead and I, I guess normally I go Thursday through Sunday Th- this time it was like Tuesday and came back on Friday so I was there in the middle of the week everybody was telling me that there's more activity on the weekends and what really has happened is, is the convention business has not come back but I was just struck by you know how empty for example the strip was I was also struck by how many vacant storefronts and sh- you know the last time I was there I, which was before COVID I, I mean I can remember you know this bustling thing and all these different people and all these different stores and a, a lot of those stores are gone and a number of the, the places like the restaurants and stuff that are open well they're open limited hours and the recurring story is they just can't find anybody to work people aren't whether they're not comfortable or they don't feel the need to but i mean this is one of the huge problems that's out there is that people just aren't working now i don't know how it is that they're surviving we're going to say we're going to talk about that a little bit later but but right now people just aren't going back to work and it's creating huge problems whether it's in the service industry like the restaurants and the casinos whether it's um 
in, again, grocery stores, not being able to find people to stock the shelves. Uh, the whole supply chain is backed up because they can't find drivers to drive stuff. It's it's a mess. All right. Let's get started. Here's the story. We had it on the news. MPS. Hope to get the National Guard to drive children to school. Remember that? Because there is a school bus shortage, school bus driver shortage, school bus companies cannot find people to drive these school buses. Again, people don't want to work, or at least if they want to work, they don't want to do that particular job. So school bus companies cannot find people to drive the buses. As a result, uh, lots of buses are, are late. Lots of routes are getting canceled. Kids are having problems getting to school. MPS went to the governor and they said, we want you to call out the National Guard. And we talked about this last week and the week before that. I I thought this was a bad idea. I think it's probably illegal as well. And the governor has refused to do that, appropriately so. The National Guard, in my opinion, is for, again, uh, emergencies. It's not for, gee, we, we need somebody to drive school buses. And, and how do you justify pulling guards people off out of their lives, out off of their regular jobs? And maybe they're driving, you know, delivery services and stuff and bring them down to Milwaukee and have them drive school buses. That I thought was always a non-starter. So the governor, appropriately enough, isn't doing that. So here's the, the latest plan. Um, MPS is apparently considering paying parents to drop off and pick up their own kids. Now, they're saying, okay, we haven't decided yet how much we're going to pay parents to drive their kids to school. Um, In Baltimore, they offered parents a $250 stipend to get their own children to school for the month of September. In Milwaukee, the officials say, well, you know, we don't know how much we'd pay families. We don't know how many families would be offered the payments or how those families would be chosen. But, you know, we're we're looking at seriously doing this. All right, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. If... If you have a kid in school and the the bus service isn't working for whatever reasons, I mean, should should you really expect to be paid money to take your own child to school? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we're not talking about paying people to run carpools and get 10 or, or kids to school at once. We're just talking about the simple process of taking your child or children and driving them to school in the morning. Is it really the government's responsibility to have to pay you to take your child to school. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if the answer is yes, when did that happen? I mean, seriously, when, when, when did this happen that we have now decided that the government, the taxpayers, have to pay people to take their own children to school? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of our texters says, Jeff, give me a freaking break. They already, parents already get money from the government just for having kids now. Good grief. That's, that is correct. Um, you know, parents, you get 3000 bucks 
a, a piece for for each child in the form of a tax credit or actually cash if you choose um thirty six hundred dollars for every child under the age of six and now we're, we're looking at paying people to drive their own children to school uh let's talk to alice in delafield alice you're in wtmj Okay, this is Alice. I'm from DeForest. Hi, Alice. Not Delafield. Okay, Alice from DeForest. Hi, Alice. Hi. Uh, yes, I have some comments about the school bus driver shortage. Uh, my uh, sister drives school bus, and also my niece and her daughter. Uh, my school, my sister drove school bus for like over 25 years, and then she didn't drive for a while. And uh, it, you cannot just get anybody in there to drive a school bus. There's a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had to learn what was under the engine. She had to learn about all the tires. It's not something that is uh, easily obtained. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that's one of the reasons why, you know, you're not getting school bus drivers. I know it's the same all over. I mean, she's had people call her from so many other schools. Uh, to drive for them, but yeah. um, no, I no. You're right. Anyway, well, those are my no, no. Alice, I'm Alice from DeForest. You're you're right. There's look. It's it's but it's part of a larger problem though. You can't find people to do anything anymore. I mean, I, I challenge you to go to you know any shopping center and you'll walk through. And my guess is you're going to find help wanted signs in fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty percent of of the stores for whatever reason. Coming out of COVID, people haven't decided that they want to go back to work as of yet. And so, you know, businesses that used to have, you know, no trouble finding people now find themselves at a situation where they've got to close down or they can't run the schedules. And, and look, and I, I understand being a school bus driver is probably not a, a fun sort of job, or at least there's others that there, there, there's all sorts of downsides to being a school bus driver. I, I get it. In part, um, you, it's, it's a stressful thing. There's a lot of responsibility. You're right. You, you have to be trained. You can't just walk in one day and be driving a school bus the next day. You have to have a valid driver's license, which I'm sure limits people. And it's split shifts. I mean, let's face it, that's probably not a particularly desirable sort of thing. But at the same time, all right, don't you think that it should be, given the fact that there's this reality, and and figuring out where we're going to get the school bus drivers moving forward, I I don't have the answer to that. I don't know where we're going to, I don't know how we're going to get people to want to go back to work, because people don't want to go to work right now. But I'm just saying, while that's happening, you know, what What do we do with regard to getting kids to school? And do we should we really have to pay the kids to do it? Um, here's a text. Jeff, my tax dollars here in Ozaki County go towards busing. If busing isn't available, then I think it's only right for me to get that money back to pay someone else to take my child to school. Well, see, now that's a that's a different sort of story. If if we're going to be saying, OK, we cannot provide busing. So that portion of the property taxes that are going to support the schools and fund the busing. OK, if, if the bus companies can't deliver on that. So we're going to cancel our contracts. We're going to take that money back and we're going to figure out an alternative thing to do. Well, I'm, I'm kind of open to that. But again, maybe I'm just hopelessly old school on this. I continue to believe that schools should if, if it's your kids. And there's a problem. The kid missed the school bus. The school bus is late or whatever. What's wrong with 
hey, mom or dad is going to you know, take the kid to school? Or what's wrong with the neighborhood carpool? All right, one day, you know, Mrs. Wagner, you're going to take, you know, three sets of kids to school. And the next day, Mrs. So-and-so. And the next day, Mr. So-and-so. And then you're going to have, Jeff, your brother Scott needs to get to school. So, you know, we, we need you to, to drop him off, you know, since you're driving. A- at what point in time... Do we just say, okay, the the government shouldn't have to pay parents to do what I would argue is the right thing, which is get their kids to school? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, aren't we paying taxes to cover the cost of busing of students? Then, yes, there should be a tax credit for those who don't receive the normal bus, bus service and have been in, have the inconvenience of having to transport their children to school. Okay, well, then what about those of us who do not have children that are taking advantage of the bus system? Shouldn't we then receive tax credits as well? I guess, look, I, I, I believe in school busing, okay? And hopefully this is going to be a temporary sort of situation. And hopefully they'll, they'll figure it out. Hopefully we'll figure out a way to get more people going back to work and working in the different stores and working in the restaurants and driving the trucks and working at the port. Hopefully, you know, th- this COVID pandemic and the fact that it's just inspired so many people to stay home and, and not go out and work. Hopefully that will pass and we'll be able to recruit bus drivers. And, and they're, you know, they're offering, you know, bonuses. I mean, you look at these different places and it's 1000 or it's 2000 bucks. They're offering bonuses and they're offering what I would describe as relatively decent pay, but they still can't get people to end up doing it. Hopefully this will be a temporary thing. I guess my point is big picture at some point in time, you know, at least in the short term, isn't it reasonable to say, all right, you know, if, if we've got this shortage, parents, we, we need you to take your own kids to school, and then we'll try to figure out as quickly as we can how we can get the transportation back. Bob in Sheboygan Falls. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, about 15 to 18 years ago, I lived in uh, Sheboygan, and then Bush Pass, uh, school choice and I wanted my kids to go to a good school so I signed them up in Sheboygan Falls mm-hmm. well between the paperwork for free or reduced lunch on the back there was a space for if you lived out of the school area you got paid to send your kids to go to school they would give you mileage Okay, and I was able to for about three years get $700 a year until I found a, a place in Sheboygan Falls. Right. So to me, this is not new. Well, what it is, you were in, I mean, thanks for calling. It, it, it is it is new. You were in a different situation because you were part of the school choice program. There's always a different situation also. For example, if you have children with disabilities and there's special contracts that you have with the kids with disabilities to get them to school. But for the typical child, Going in the school system, not participating in the school choice program like that you're, you're talking about. And I, I don't know if that option is still available now. I, I, I don't know. But for I, I'm talking about for your, your basic sort of situation here where you've got a, a temporary crisis where you're, you're not that the school bus companies don't have enough drivers to fulfill the needs for for at least the short term. I guess my point would be. I don't think it is unreasonable to say to the parents, hey, we're, we're, we're sorry right now, but we, we don't have the buses. We haven't been able, we've got contracts. 
The bus companies can't fulfill the contracts. And so as a result, we, we can't provide that transportation. So what we need you to do is we need you to figure out a, a way to get your kids to school. We need you to, again, maybe it's a carpool situation for other kids in the neighborhood. Um, some people are saying, well, don't you understand mom or dad work? Well, maybe they work. I don't know that one way or the other. But at some point in time, don't you have to take some responsibility for for your children, particularly in times when, I don't know, it, it's unexpected or unforeseen sort of circumstances that are there. And, and that's the situation we're in now. Now, if you want to be upset with your local school board for not being able to, you know, cut a contract, cut a deal with a bus company that has enough drivers. Okay, that's fine. If you want to be upset with the school bus company for not being able to get enough drivers, that that's fine. But to me, that's kind of like yelling in the wind because these school bus drive companies that are offering people, you know, twenty plus bucks an hour plus a thousand or two thousand dollar signing bonuses. At some point in time, there's only so much money that they can end up paying. But I guess this idea that we we need to call out the national guard to drive school buses. Well, that's a non-starter. And at some point in time, the idea that we need to we need to pay people to get their own children to school, not other people's kids, but their own kids to school. Huh. I mean, I guess we're moving further and further away from the days of individual responsibility. And heck, you know, next thing we're going to be telling people that that they should actually provide food for their children. We don't do that anymore either. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, I have found the unicorn. Now, you will remember all the controversy at Summerfest a couple weeks ago when Summerfest announced it. its policy in order to come onto the grounds. You essentially had to you had to prove that you were, were vaccinated or had a negative COVID test within what seventy two hours or, or whatever it, it was, and they had people at the gates that were checking them. And I, I talked about how I, I did not find this to be a particularly onerous type of process. They were very good about it. They got people in quickly. And a couple people, either text or phone calls, said, well, here's the problem with what they're doing. The problem is that they're not cross-checking stuff. In other words, if I show up with with something on my phone that says, okay, here's your here, here's your vaccination card, copy of the vaccination card, and it says for Jeff Wagner, what they, they wouldn't ask me to also then pull out a driver's license or a photo ID proving or a passport or something proving that I was in fact Jeff Wagner. So that that was it, admittedly it was a glitch, I guess uh, theoretically a failure in the system because somebody who was not vaccinated, I guess could I don't know, you you want to go to uh, see a show, you're not vaccinated, so you say to your brother or your sister or your friend, "Hey, just forward me a copy of your vaccination card or lend me your vaccination card and I'll go through and I'll show it." Okay, so that was always a possibility. My point was the chances of that happening, while a possibility, are very, very rare. First of all, it's a crime. I mean, it, it, it's a crime to do it. And secondly, who, who as a practical matter is going to do it? There, there might be a certain percentage of people, but I was arguing it's, it's the unicorns. I mean, and I, yes, will there be somebody somewhere who scams the system and takes advantage of this and is willing to risk committing a crime and things like that? Yeah, th- th- I accept the fact that, 
you know, there's a possibility that would happen. But the flip side is having long lines, having to go through photo IDs, having to have this extra step in the process that at the end of the day really wasn't going to make, I think, the Summerfest grounds any safer because 99.9% of the people are aren't going to scam the system. I firmly believe that. But there will always be the examples of the unicorn. I have found the unicorn. And he used to play basketball for Marquette University. This is one of the most amazing stories. All right. Hawaii has been incredibly locked down since the start of COVID. Matter of fact, Hawaii, which depends on tourism dollars, has pretty much put up signs over the course of the last 18 months saying tourists not welcome. Do not come here because we're we're trying to stop people from the mainland from coming in and bringing COVID. So they've had very, very, what would be the word, draconian, very, very strict requirements and so what they need now, you know, to, to get into Hawaii, just like to get into, say, I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago. What you need is you need to prove that you are either vaccinated or you need to show, again, evidence of a negative COVID test or alternatively, you have to um, agree to be quarantined for like 10 days. And you say, oh, quarantined in, in Hawaii. That, that's great. No, you're, you're in a hotel room where all you can do is order room service. It, it's, it's not great. So you, you want to be able to, to get in, which is why that if you're, I don't know, going into Hawaii, you got to follow the different rules and you should get yourself vaccinated. You should have the negative test, which brings me to former Marquette Golden Eagle, Lazar Hayward, who went on and played in the NBA, got drafted in 2010. He played seven or eight years in the NBA. Here's the deal. Former NBA player and Marquette University graduate, Lazar Haywood was reportedly arrested in Hawaii last week after allegedly falsifying COVID test results to avoid quarantine. Hayward, 34, and another person he was traveling with were arrested at the airport in Kauai after police were notified that the pair uploaded fake negative COVID test results into the state's Safe Travels portal. So I assume what they do in Hawaii is what they do like in Paris. In Paris, there in France, there's this this thing that's run by the government, and you upload the results of your tests into that, and then you're part of this giant database. Hawaii apparently is the same thing. Uh, apparently, what what these guys do, Hayward apparently uploaded bogus documents to avoid a quarantine. So he was later released, returned to the airport, where he took a direct flight to Los Angeles. So apparently in advance of coming to Hawaii, instead of just going over to CVS and and getting the negative test result that you need to do, he decides to somehow get a fake test result, put it into the system, the system is able to detect this somehow, and so they're waiting for him. He gets busted, gets charged with a crime, and ends up getting sent back to you know the mainland. So he doesn't get to pass go, doesn't get to stay in Hawaii as it is. Hawaii requires a, a 10-day traveler quarantine, and so he was trying to avoid this. And I, I guess... The, the, I, I found the unicorn because, like I say, I, I'm sure that there are some people who would scam the system. But why you would take the risk of doing this, knowing that there's a decent chance that you're going to get caught? And maybe you want to argue that this is a stupid rule that Hawaii has. And, and that's 
that that's a fair thing up for for debate. But it it's the rule. And that's what I was saying to people about our trip to Europe. These are the rules you have to play by. If you don't want to follow these rules, then just don't go. Wait, wait till this pandemic stuff passes. Wait till we're closer to back to normal. But these are the rules that you have to play by. And if you want to go to Hawaii, this is the rule you have to follow as well. And this idea that I'm going to download this fake test to try to avoid some sort of quarantine. Gee, who thought that was a good idea? So I admit I admit that I did not think there was any chance that any significant number of people would do this, but there's always going to be some. And unfortunately, Marquette Marquette, uh, University alum Lazar Hayward, he ended up being one of those people who decided he thought he could beat the system, and he didn't get to pass go, didn't get to stay in Hawaii, got sent back to Los Angeles, and... You know, it's one of those deals where you go out on vacation, come back on probation. Not a good move. When we come back, he's back. Dr. Gloom making predictions. Are people going to pay attention? Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Your Milwaukee Brewers are back in the postseason after winning the NL Central for the second time in four years. Our very own Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, calls Brew October right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can also listen online on your phone and on Alexa. It's Brew October on WTMJ, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Trust Community Bank, and Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. How cool is that again the brewers playoff start on friday they've got a home game at american family field we're awaiting the time my guess is it's going to be sometime in in the afternoon that would that would be my guess because the second national league playoff game is going to be in san francisco it's going to feature san francisco and los angeles so my guess is that game is going to be in prime time so i if i had to estimate i i would say Early to mid-afternoon would be the time for the Brewers game, but we will know more today or tomorrow. And a number of people are texting in saying, why are the Brewers taking so long and announcing it? it? It's 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 not the Brewers. It's this Major League Baseball is the one that controls the scheduling and the timing and things like this. And so the Brewers, they get told when they're going to play about the same time as the public is told when it's going to play. Okay. Anthony Fauci, a very controversial figure. And I'm I, I run hot and cold on, on Dr. Fauci. I think I, I think that to me his biggest problem is he's just so terribly overexposed. And I think he would have done a great service to himself and actually the country if he would have from time to time over the last 18 months, just learned how to, to say no to particular interviews, whether it's with newspapers or radio stations or television stations, because what happened is he was constantly on TV and he ended up saying things that, that contradicted himself. And I understand that science changes and just because something is true in February doesn't mean it's not going to be true in, it's going to be true in September. And I understand that it changes, but in many cases, and we've talked about them before, you would have Anthony Fauci on TV saying one thing on Sunday, and then Tuesday he's saying something completely different, and there's no real, there, there's no real data to, to move it. And that's why I, I think he would have been more reserved if he would have just been a little bit more cautious as to all the different interviews he'd done. But he's not listening to me, and he's still out there. So on CBS Face the Nation yesterday he says all right they he's on 
He's on television. And this is what happens when you do these interviews, because you've got you got these reporters that are going to ask you these questions, and they're going to suck you into the rabbit hole. But on Face the Ma- Nation, he's asked about coronavirus and what's expected to come in, in the future. Specifically, he's asked whether or not families can gather together for Christmas. So... Can we gather for Christmas, or is it just too soon to tell? And his response is, you know, Margaret, it's just too soon to tell. We've just got to concentrate on continuing to get numbers down and not try to jump ahead by weeks or months. And, of course, you know, the the way that this then plays out is, you know, you've got the governor, the government's top infectious disease specialist saying, well, I, I don't know about Christmas 2021, and, and we might be encouraging, we might be telling people that they, they can't spend it with family and friends. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. We are now, we are going back to concerts. We are having events like Summerfest. We are traveling to Europe. We are going to baseball games. The NBA season kicks off relatively soon. We are going to be going to, uh, we're going to be going to other sorts of sporting events as well. Lambeau Field was packed the other day. All right, 855-616-1620. Dr. Fauci says it's too soon to know whether people will be able to gather for Christmas. All right. I don't know about you, but my intent is, regardless pretty much of what Dr. Fauci says, I'm planning on getting together with my family and my extended family this Christmas. All right. Would you change your plans because of what Dr. Fauci or the CDC says? 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess the related question is, how is this speculation helpful to to anyone because i think most people are hearing this and they're saying well no this christmas we're we're getting together i mean if you can go to a football game can't you get together with your family over christmas 855-616-1620 we discuss so how should fauci have answered this question when they ask well you know is it too soon to know whether we can get together for christmas he his response should have been of course people can get together for christmas now for people who are unvaccinated we might have some suggestions and some recommendations to to make it more safe including masks or whatever but but who well, who is the government to tell you that you can't get together with your family for Christmas, especially when you've got, I don't know, all these sporting events that are going on when the world is starting to reopen? But, of course, that's not the response that you get. Well, it's too soon to tell. And I guess my, my point is when you say things like this, you just completely nobody pays attention. People tune out. You expect me to give up my Christmas plans? I'm vaccinated. My spouse is vaccinated. The kids are vaccinated. And you're telling us that we can't get together with our vaccinated family friends, uh, family and friends over Christmas time. What planet are you on? That and this is again. It's in my opinion, it's saying things like this that breeds distrust in, in the total system. What should the response have been? Easy. Well, of course, we know people are going to get together. We might encourage we're encouraging everybody to be vaccinated because that will provide the safest thing that's possible for people who aren't vaccinated. We might, again, have some sort of special restrictions that we urge people to follow. But of course, it's Christmas. It's Thanksgiving. People are getting together. Now, I understand that there's some of you 
out there and you get texts who are, oh, we're, we're just in such a panic here. We're, anything that Dr. Fauci says, we're, we're just going to do. And if it means we're going to stay in the basement and not see anybody for the rest of our lives, that's what we're willing to do. To which I say, that's fine. Go with God if that's how you feel about this stuff. But for most people, yes, they're, for Christmas time, they're going to get together with their families. And this, to me, was an opportunity to, again, encourage people to get vaccinated. The more people that we get vaccinated, the, the less restrictions that we're going to end up having to recommend. But, yeah, we have to do some of these things. And, again, if, if you're one of the people that's COVID terrified and, and don't feel that you can go out and are afraid to interact with anybody, I get it. That That's fine. And, you know, have you don't know, have a TV dinner in your basement over Christmas. I mean, that's. That's the problem with this. Uh, Dr. Uh, Jeff, you can tell Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, I won't be following this advice. Jeff, absolutely not. I will celebrate and get together. I'm vaccinated. So even if someone in my family is not, they are welcome to join. Um, you know, on a separate note, why are people still paying attention to Dr. Fauci? Well, I think he's well intended, but he comes at this stuff, at least in my opinion, from, uh, uh, this absolutist sort of perspective that that's lost lost touch with reality a long long time ago jeff i haven't changed any of my plans based on what experts have said ever since i got the vaccine well yeah that's the thing we were told and see this is where i believe that a lot of stuff is so contradictory we want people to get vaccinated i want people to get vaccinated but one of the things that sells the vaccinations is hey you get vaccinated and you're going to be protected we can't guarantee that you're not going to get a breakthrough case yes you might get a breakthrough case but if you're vaccinated the chance of having a significant adverse reaction to that breakthrough case is dramatically less. There, there's no guarantees in this world. You can walk out of your house and get hit by a bus. I mean, that that's the thing. And yeah, we want people to get the, the booster shots when they are available. But when you say, well, even if you're fully vaccinated and even if you've had your booster shot, it's, it's too soon to tell whether we're going to suggest that you can get together with your vaccinated and booster shotted relatives. That that does not inspire confidence in the overall system. And I think the way a lot of people react to it is that we're, we're, you just tune out this advice because it ends up being contradictory and it ends up in just not reflecting the real world. And as I was sitting there watching college football games on Saturday afternoon and seeing tens of thousands of people gather in stadium settings, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, and our top infectious disease expert is telling us, well, okay, we've got all these people that are gathering in these different settings, but we're, we're not we're not sure whether you, if you're vaccinated, can get together with your vaccinated family members at Christmas. Give me a break. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. I'm intrigued by your reaction to this, this story. Because it's one of those things where it sounds like a good idea, perhaps, and then somebody gets offended by it and the whole thing ends up going nuclear. And I think some people are sitting there saying, okay, well, well, I understand why some people are saying they're offended, but are they really offended? Now, let me back up on this. As a child of the 70s, I am going to be the first one to admit to you that from a clothing perspective, 
there were lots of stuff that came out of the 70s that were really, really bad ideas. Um, platform shoes, wide bell-bottom pants, um, leisure suits. Yes, I had a leisure suit. Not proud of it, but my only thing, I, my only advice is that everybody in 1974 had had a, a leisure suit. I still carry around back in in Wisconsin, back in the day. The, the driver's licenses you would get, they were just paper driver's licenses. They didn't have your picture on them or anything. And so if you wanted to to drink, um, and the drinking age back then was 18, you had to go and you had to get a, a separate ID, that a, a picture ID official from the state of Wisconsin. I, I still have that picture ID, and I show it to people from time to time. And the, the hairstyle... Okay, the, the hairstyle for me was not the most flattering particular hairstyle. I mean, because I have, I have straight hair, and when you let your hair grow really long, it becomes, well, just long straight hair that kind of hangs there. It wasn't the best look. Okay, I freely admit it. My only defense is like everybody looked like that in 1974 or 1975. One of the other looks, though, and keep in mind, this is when kind of disco and those sort of things are are starting. One of the other big things that was out there for both men and women was big, frizzy, curly hair. I hope my friend doesn't mind this. I have a friend, John. And John has shown, I did not know John in the 70s, but I've seen pictures of, of John when he was in, you know, in what I would call the disco days. And he had this big, big head of curly hair. And that that was kind of the, the style, and and you you saw it. it was kind of like naturally curly. It was, I mean, I guess if you were going to use a description of it, it, it was Afro, but it wasn't just confined to you know African Americans who were wearing it. It was people. This was the style. You had women that had the big curly hair. You had men that had the big curly hair, and you know it, it was. Again, perhaps not the best look, but we it was the 70s, and everybody thought it looked great and those sort of things. It was like the big curly hair, all right? So you know what I'm talking about, the big afros, and it wasn't just confined, again, to, to persons of color. I mean, this was this was a style that, that people had. All right, so why are we talking about afros? Well, it's a story that comes out of an Arkansas television station, KATV. And if you haven't heard it, here's here's what ended up happening. Apparently, it has been brutally hot all summer in Arkansas. Brutally hot. And a week or two ago, the, the forecast was for cooler weather. Now, cooler weather in Little Rock, Arkansas, is like down into the 70s. But it's been 80, 90 degrees, brutal humidity, all those things. So... Everybody's been complaining about the heat. So with the forecast of of the 70s, hey, it's going to be in the 70s, the TV station decides they're going to do one of those goofy TV gags where they're going to, they're going to call it, it's a return to the 70s. Get it? Return to the 70s because the temperature is going to drop into the 70s. So what, what the, one of the anchors and one of the meteorologists are instructed presumably to do is hey we, we want we want you to be retro you know we we want to we want to go back to that 70s look ha 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 it'll be fun so there's i guess a lot of things you could do maybe you could show up in in the leisure suit maybe you could show up in the tie-dyed shirt maybe you could show up with the peace medallion i, I don't know all all sorts of all sorts of things what the two of them do though is they show up 
wearing an Afro wig. They, they each have one of the, the big wigs. So if, if you ever saw the movie um, Private Parts with Howard Stern, you know, and they, I mean, that, that's, that's how he looked when he was starting his career. You know, he's got one of the big, naturally curly hairstyles, one of the, the big Afros. And like I say, it's, it's not, was not a unique hairstyle to men or women, wasn't a unique hairstyle to any particular ethnicity, but, you know, it, it, it was what it was. So anyhow, couple weeks ago return to the 70s we're gonna we're gonna do one of these wacky tv stunts so you have the news anchor and you have the meteorologist both who are white they show up wearing these big afro wigs okay and hey we're we're celebrating this etc etc so they're on air everything's fine until apparently the way they describe it is a woman who is a community activist sees this Sees these two, you know, back to the 70s, okay, and becomes offended. Says she's not amused by the 70s segment, saying that a white person wearing an Afro wig is a perpetuation of systematic racism. She complains to the TV management, and then, um, you know, she goes public, you know, when she doesn't get a satisfactory response. What's happened now is that the two TV anchors who wore these Afro-like wigs on the air, they have both been suspended, presumably without pay. I don't know how long. And the news director, which either sanctioned this or came up with this idea, he has now been fired. And the idea is that this is endemic of systematic racism. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, is this an overreaction? And, and I bring this up. Because, I mean, do I care what goes on on an Arkansas TV station? No. But I I bring this up because, again, where are the lines? And should people have reasonably understood that this was going to be the reaction? I mean, for example, if I get invited to a a Halloween party this at the end of October and I decide I want to. I want to do a retro thing. So I, I pull out the leisure suit and I pull out, I find like the, the Afro wig and I find out the, I pull out the peace medallion and, and all that stuff. I mean, is that cultural appropriation? Is that systematic racism or is this just the way that everybody dressed? White, black, brown. Is this the way that everybody pretty much dressed in the 1970s? And does it mean that you can't do it now in 2021? And I guess you sure can't do it on Arkansas TV. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I always believe that when you identify real racism, you got to condemn it. No question about it. But in this particular situation, it's a, it's a curly hair wig which is, in, I think, representative of the hairstyles that lots of people, particularly folks who had naturally curly hair, adopted back then. All right, should these guys have been suspended? Is this, in fact, systematic racism? Is it an outrage? Or is this, I, I don't know, um, maybe an overreaction? 855-616-1620. And, and what can and you can't wear? What can you wear and what can't you wear? This isn't it's not blackface. It's not dreadlocks. I mean, it's it's a Afro wig. All right. What do you think? We discuss in a minute. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, to give you a couple examples. For example, if you, you ever watch The Simpsons? Right. Well, one of the characters that's been on television forever on The Symptom, Simpsons is their, their disco stew character, who is the white guy with the sunglasses, and he's got the big curly hair, the big bushy, you know, afro. All right, that that's that was in style, believe it or not, in in the seventies. Um, if you ever watched, and one of my favorite shows years ago, um, for at least a while, was the uh, the seventy the show the, that seventies show, you know, which was set in Wisconsin, and one of the main characters. Hyde had a had a had a big had a big afro. I mean, you know, he had curly hair, and that's how you know that that was just it was the style back at the the time. And I, I bring this up because again, if you're just tuning in, these down in Arkansas TV station Little Rock, Arkansas, you've got the meteor. It's been hot all summer. They decide it's getting a little cooler. They're going to do one of these like wacky TV stunts where they're going to have the meteorologist and the anchor. It's it's a retro look. It's back to the 70s. Get it? The temperature is going to be in the 70s. So they both show up with these big, bushy Afro wigs. Okay. And everything goes fine until some activist sees this on TV. She complains. Next thing you know, the news director is being fired and the other two are are being suspended, presumably without pay. And I I bring this up again, not because I care necessarily what happens to them, but where do we draw the line on this stuff? Now, seriously, because I'm thinking if I get invited to a Halloween party and I decided, hey, I want to I want to find a leisure suit. I want to find, you know, big curly wig and I want to show up with a peace medallion and stuff. Am I not going to be able to do that because this is cultural appropriation? 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think this is someone trying to make a gotcha moment when really I think it's a nothing to see here moment. Well, I think that, you know, that that's, I guess, kind of, that's sort of how I look at it. Jeff, this is getting really old. I guess all the great TV shows on TV land have to go. You know, you just mentioned it. Where does it end up stopping? Well, well, right. You know, where does it, it end up, um, you know, stopping? And Jeff, are you sure you didn't forget to mention some other detail, like they were in blackface? No, they weren't in blackface. Th- this entire issue is because they showed up with with the bushy, curly wigs. There was no blackface. There was nothing else like that. This was just they showed up with the curly wigs, which, as somebody, like I say, who lived through the 70s, and remember that hairstyle, you had you had people, if you had curly hair, you had people of, of all races this was what they were embracing. And, and yes, you had, I understand it's a natural hairstyle for African-American men and women. I get that. But for people who had curly hair, think Howard Stern, you know, thinking about my buddy John. This is this is just the look that people, you know, ended up having. And so now you, you can't do this because somebody somewhere is going to get offended. A couple of people are sending me texts of, of their high school graduation photos. And yeah, it, it's, if, if you graduated from high school, you know, circa 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, the, these are the situations. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm so tired of all these overreactions. The TV guides should not have been suspended and or fired that this this is not racial well yeah it's it's it, it's not if it was blackface if it was dreadlocks if it was a look that was 
unique and mocking to a particular race, it would be a different story. But this is not a unique look. Yes, do African Americans have naturally clearly hair in some cases, and hence, you know, the, the Afro term. But that's that's not something that was necessarily unique to that. Jeff, I think this is a big overreaction. Even Mike and Peter Brady had Afro hairstyles in the 1970s. Um, take a look at, you know, a lot of the photos from back then. Yeah, that's right. You know, Mr. Brady, he ended up having this as well. And I guess the other frustrating aspect of this is that they do this. And, and you can argue whether it was a funny thing or not. Okay, that, but that's not the point. You do this one person sees it and complains. And then you have this TV station that goes into complete and total damage mode, damage control mode. And rather than just simply saying, look, I'm sorry if you were offended by this, but there was no offense intended in this regard. And by the way, this is the way it was in the 70s. And this look was not unique to any particular ethnicity. Sorry you're offended, but you know, move on, get a life, you know, instead of just simply saying that, it's like, oh, my gosh, we're so sorry, and we don't want to offend anybody. And, and so because somebody out there was offended, we're now going to fire this particular guy. I mean, seriously, at some point in time, don't you just have to have, say, let's have, you know, some perspective. Now, somebody just says, I, I looked up the picture of the wigs. They were black wigs. Um yeah, they, they were. They were as opposed to blonde or as opposed to redhead. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I'm not sure that would have made any sort of difference because, again, I don't know that people think this is the thing. The, the most people, you know, look at somebody with that hairstyle and automatically think, oh, this is systematic racism. And you're mocking, in this case, you're mocking people who are black. I don't think that's the normal reaction that people have. Some people might have it and they might be sensitive about it. But at some point in time, don't you need to look at the big picture? And again, I, I'm just waiting to cancel Halloween because you have stories like this that come out every Halloween about people who, I don't know, dress it's a 70s party. We're dressing like, you know, people looked in the 70s. Oh, all right, now you've offended somebody. And again, I appreciate that there's real racism and there is cultural appropriation and there's stuff that some people wear that you go, really? It, didn't you understand that that was stereotypical or offensive? I'm just saying this is not, at least in my opinion, one of those situations. Doesn't matter, though, because somebody complained, everybody reacts. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Somebody says, Jeff, look at the Nicolay High School yearbook in 1975, and you will see lots of people, a very diverse group of people, many folks with those, 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 what we're calling the Afro hairstyles. And the answer is, yes, of course you will. Now, I myself never sported one of those because I have long, straight hair. My, my claim to fame now is I still have most of my hair, which I, I take as a... I take as a success, but it was never curly and never did that. Annex Wealth Management is a proud sponsor of Brew October. It's time to know the difference. If you're ready to put things in order, so are they. Annex Wealth Management provides investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning as a local independent partner. Head to AnnexWealth.com and click the Get Started button. Now, what's going on with the stock market today? Yes. Yes, it is the Biden economy. After a brutal week in the stock market, yes, last week, um, today's not much better. Dow Jones down 374, the NASDAQ down 330. Lots of stuff, um, lots of stuff going on in the world. Almost none of it good for the financial markets. And hopefully this too shall end up passing. Oh, 
you know, I, I was I was gone for what, three or four days last week, and it, it's just so frustrating that you you go away and it's the same story. Now I understand it's a slightly you've changed the names a little bit, but it, it's the same story. Things just do not change around here, and it's frustrating. Eleven year old girl killed, five year old injured Saturday night as driver opens fire on car with children inside. Two girls, is the way the local paper reports it, two girls, ages 5 and 11, were shot Saturday night when someone drove up to the car they were in and opened fire. The 11-year-old girl died from her injuries. The 5-year-old is in stable condition. The girls were in a car with family. I think it was their mother that was driving. I think I saw that in another story. Just before 9 p.m. in the 3100 block of North Sherman Boulevard, when another driver approached them, fired shots, striking both children. The family drove directly to the police station, District 7, roughly half a mile away. The officers performed first aid until paramedics arrived. Both were taken to the hospital. Police have not arrested anyone yet and then it goes on to talk about how you know more shootings friday afternoon two boys 14 and 15 were shot in the 4300 block of north 66th street friday night a 16 year old boy was shot during a robbery in the 4500 block of west concordia and it goes on and on but okay so this is saturday night at nine o'clock you've got a five-year-old you've got an 11 year old who are in a car with their mother someone comes up and starts shooting in the car and hits and kills the 11 year old and injures the five-year-old you know i would describe the city of milwaukee as the wild wild west but that would be an insult to the wild, wild west, because I don't remember in all the the Western movies that you used to see about, you know, Dodge City and Tombstone and all these things, at least the bad guys, you know, they shot each other. I don't remember stories about people gunning down children, and yet this is becoming, unfortunately, the norm on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Will anybody recognize that it's way past time to do something about this? Crickets, crickets, crickets. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I do want to welcome a a new sponsor to the program and um, their featured sponsor this week on our Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. You just heard me talking a little bit about it. It's Kohler Services. This is, is very, very cool, and I'm very excited to have them as a partner with the program. Give them a call at 262 357 3300 or visit Kohler Services WI.com to see all they have to offer. From inspiration to installation, reimagine your bathing experience and contact Kohler Services for a free design consultation. It's a great business model featuring a great product. Met the people that are responsible for at least running this Kohler division. They're great folks as well. And like I say, I'm very, very pleased to welcome them as a new partner to the program. Okay, tax return information is secret. And typically the information is not made public unless there's a argument that somebody has defrauded the IRS, for example, or committed tax fraud, in which case there are charges that are brought, sometimes criminal, sometimes civil. For politicians, and we went through this during the Trump years, there was this huge pressure, oh, make his tax returns public, make his tax returns public, and you know, and he, he never did. Many politicians do, many elected officials do. There's no requirement that they do that, but many do it, but, but President Trump did not. All right, in Wisconsin, 
the tax returns that you file are confidential, that they are not public record. However, and a lot of people don't know this, the amount of tax that you paid is, in fact, a public record. That's the only tax information. But you can, and there's a a, a process that you can go through, if you want to find out how much money somebody in taxes, state taxes paid, you can go through these various hoops that you have to jump through, and you can get that number. You can't get any of the underlying information as to how that number was calculated, but you, you can get that, that number. All right, so here's what happens. The Journal Sentinel decides that, okay, we're, we're gonna, they're going to go on a fishing expedition, I believe, and they start filing requests to see how much various people running for office or in elective office, how much did they pay in state taxes over the years? Again, they can't get the actual records, but you can get the number. Now, Senator Ron Johnson, who has a target on his back, matter of fact, he's joining us, is it Wednesday? Wednesday he's going to be with us, I think. I think we're scheduled to talk to him on Wednesday. So anyhow, um, Senator Johnson, who has a target on his back, he's viewed as a, a vulnerable Republican. The, the U.S. Senate is, is up for grabs in the elections next November. Most smart people think that the Republicans are going to take control of this. But, but Johnson, if he runs for re-election, and he still hasn't announced whether he is or not, if he runs for re-election, he will be the only Republican incumbent running in a state that Joe Biden won. So that's, you know, so he's got a target on his back. And, you know, Senator Johnson, good or bad, has courted controversy on a number of things. And I admit he's a lightning rod for controversy. And so you have all these attack ads that are already being run against him and things like that. So into this wades the the Journal Sentinel with a story from Dan Bice. And it's it is a legitimate story, I guess, in the fact that it's accurate and factual. Factual. The question is, what does it mean? Okay, so over the past decade, that they, they pull all the the tax records, the amount of state income tax that Johnson has paid over the last decade. And again, all they get is the the bottom line number. And over the last ten years, from available records, he's apparently averaged paying around $60,000 a year in state income taxes. Okay, so that's that's sort of the baseline. Most years, on average, I mean, I guess since it's an average, some years it's going to be more than 60, some years it's going to be less than 60. But he, he's paid, what I think we would all describe, as a significant amount of taxes to the state of Wisconsin, except for 2017. And apparently in 2017... He paid like twenty one hundred bucks. Most years he's paid sixty thousand. In twenty seventeen, this one year, he paid twenty one hundred dollars. Now, because you only get that bottom line number, you don't know what happened in, in twenty seventeen. You don't know if there was I, again. I, look, I'm, I'm not a tax attorney, and I don't play one on the radio. But there, there's all sorts of things that you can have happen in a given year. Maybe it's all sorts of depreciation. I, I don't know. There's all sorts of different things where you can have, like, suddenly your, your tax bill increases dramatically in one year or somehow it, it just decreases dramatically depending on deductions and, and whatever different things that go on 
in your financial life in a given year that can create sort of an aberration. So the story in the Journal Sentinel is multimillionaire, and he is a multimillionaire, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson paid a mere $2,105 in state income taxes in 2017 despite making big bucks. And, of course... Then, you know, a lot of the usual suspects weighed in. And this is, you know, this is why, you know, uh, you know, Johnson shouldn't be reelected. And this is why, you know, we, we need to figure out ways to make the wealthy pay more in taxes and things like that. Nobody suggests, at least at this point, that anything that Senator Johnson did with regard to his 2017 taxes were illegal or inappropriate. And again, and I, I honestly, I do not know why that number was that low that particular year. I could, I could speculate, but it would just simply be speculating. But it was an aberration years before, years after, or higher. Here is my question, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this and should be this be an issue? Or is this absent evidence that Johnson was committing tax fraud, and I don't think anybody's suggesting that, um, is is this much ado about nothing, given the fact, and maybe you know this from your own life, you know, your your tax burden, you know, can affect, can dramatically change, you know, from year to year based on different circumstances. So, yeah, he apparently paid $2,100 in state tax in 2017, should anyone care about this? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. My answer is, again, assuming that everything he did was legitimate, and there's no reason to suggest otherwise, something obviously unique happened in 2017, and that's the end of the story, isn't it? 855-616-1620. How big a deal is this? I think at this point in time, the only way to describe this is two words, nothing burger. I think that's two words, not one. 855-616-1620. And I understand people hate Ron Johnson. I, I get it. I understand there's people out there who just despise him. And, oh, th- th- this shows that this guy must be some sort of crook. How can you only do this? My point is, I just don't think that's a fair point to take. 855-616-1620. How big a deal is this, if at all? This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. I admit this stuff makes me absolutely crazy. This sort of like gotcha mentality that's out there. Oh, story says Ron Johnson paid $2,100 in state tax in 2017, despite the fact that in for most of the decade, he averaged paying more than $60,000. Well, okay, here I understand that that makes a, a, a cheap heat headline that you get in the newspaper, but there, there's obviously, nobody is suggesting there's anything inappropriate here. Now, buried in the story, they talk about that the only candidate who paid less, Senate candidate, who paid less in Wisconsin income tax ta- taxes in 2017 was State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski. Her state income tax bill was zero for both 2017 and 2018, but her campaign explained. So they told the Journal Sentinel this, and they say, well, her and her husband had a state tax bill of $15,000 before deductions, but they were able to whittle that figure down through a combination of itemized deductions for $61,000 in charitable donations, tax credits for investments in emerging businesses, and credits for married couples and school property taxes. Undoubtedly, something like that was going on with Ron Johnson's 2017 tax returns. But he's kind of taken the position that 
okay, it's it's really nobody's business. Um, it's nobody's business, you know, exactly, you know, what the deductions were. And if the state of Wisconsin believes that Ron Johnson has committed fraud with regard to his taxes, they have every right to investigate him and to prosecute him. But my, my guess is this is all kind of legitimate. And I understand for average people, for most of us, look, your your your, your taxes kind of stay the same year after year. But it, it might be a situation where you have a year where, I don't know, something happens and you have a, a windfall of income or, you know, you're, you you sell an investment and you get all sorts of deductions. It, it, it's the type of thing that happens. All right, here's a couple texts on this. Jeff, admittedly, I am not a Ron Johnson fan, but really, the guy is a well-to-do business and businessman and there could be dozens of reasons for the one-year anomaly. If this was 10 or 15 years straight, well, maybe something would be amiss. But um, this is a firecracker without a, a fuse. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, Jeff, as an independent, my glasses are clear on both sides. I do care that all pay their taxes as obligated under the law. But that being said, um, you know, it, it, there might be nothing there. I think the senator should explain. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you don't. I, I don't know that the senator owes anybody an explanation. If the IRS or the State Department of Revenue again decides that there is fraud here, well, I- investigate and and bring that to light. But this is 2017. I doubt that there's much going on. Jeff, I think this is the pay your fair share crowd that forgot or never acknowledges jobs that companies have produced to help families in the surrounding economy. And again, I, I don't know where this deduction comes from. My guess is it's a one off um, that, that applies. And, and you know, we, we see that from time to time. I remember there was a story not that long ago involving, I think it was Don Smiley, who is admittedly, he, I'm a fan of his and, and he is a friend of mine. But it was, you know, he got a bonus and, you know, he had a contract and he was due for like this big payout one year of a bonus that it was based on like five years performance and stuff. And the screaming headlines were, oh, he made all this money this year. Well, right. It, it was a bonus that was an anomaly for that particular um, year. Jeff, I believe most people cannot relate to their taxes going up and down every year based on certain legal deductions. This article should never have been written since, as you say, it is a non-starter. It's a nothing story. I, I Okay, I understand why you write the story, I guess. I mean, is it accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 accurate that this is what the information was, but is it fair? Yeah. I, I think this is just kind of one of these sort of gotcha things. And the senator says he's not going to be releasing his tax returns. And I, I guess my point is, for the people who don't like Ron Johnson, this is perhaps more information and a greater basis for it. To me, whenever I see these tax returns, and I've been consistent with this with Republicans and, and Democrats, to me, absent an indication that there's fraud involved, I, I don't think people's taxes are anybody's business. Absent an indication that there's some sort of conflict of interest somewhere, I don't think anybody's taxes are anybody else's business. And I felt that way when these stories broke about Mandela Barnes and the fact that, you know, he apparently was essentially unemployed when he was running for office. As long as you're as long as you are paying what you are legally obligated to pay, I think that's pretty much the end of the story. And I understand that's not going to satisfy Ron Johnson haters, but I mean, 
you know, seriously. Um, here's a final text. Jeff, I'm a listener in Richfield. I doubt the release of the tax information will hurt um, Ron Johnson too much. Uh, the damage has already been done. Well, and he's referring to the fact that, I mean, I think there's he has been a lightning rod for a variety of issues. And if you want to dislike Ron Johnson because of his position on COVID or his position on January 6th or whatever, I get it. I understand it. If your position is, I, I want to. I think he must be a tax cheat because he only paid $2,100 in state taxes in 2017. My comment would be, you really got to dial that one back, absent significantly more evidence that the local newspaper is able to provide. I have the the unhinged liberal award for the day here. Um, Joy Behar, who is one of the, the... women on the view who is if you want joy behar is one of these people and you run into him occasionally who if you ever don't know where you should be on a particular issue you find out where she is you go the other way you're going to be right and and she's gotten more and more unhinged over time so okay right now i think everybody's uh, focusing on what's happening in Washington D.C., you have the the liberals who are pushing for a three point five trillion dollar human infrastructure plan. And we'll talk more about this over time. But this is essentially it's a remaking of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. It is a massive cradle to grave welfare proposal with a $3.5 million price tag. There's also a million-dollar infrastructure program that has bipartisan support that um, would, would rebuild roads and put in, you know, Internet and in rural areas and things like that. So the liberals are holding up passage of the real infrastructure bill to try to get this, again, this this liberal pipe dream that they've had for years and years, this $3.5 uh, trillion dollar spending plan. Problem is they don't have the votes. Joe Joe Biden did not have a mandate. Joe Biden was elected as an alternative to Donald Trump, but th- there's the Senate is split 50-50. It is very very close in the House, and you've got a couple moderate Democrats who are saying in the Senate are saying we're not voting for this. This is this is just crazy money. You know, uh, the senator from Virginia who's a Democrat, Joe Manchin, he's saying, look, don't don't yell at me. I mean, if, if you want to pass this thing, you've got to elect more liberals because I'm not going to vote for this type of crazy spending for, you know, my kids, my grandkids, our great grandkids. So Joy Behar is upset with these two senators, Kristen, uh, Kristen Sinema from Arizona and Joe Manchin. So she goes on this tirade on Friday discussing this infighting, saying these two Democrats, they are the enemies of democracy, the enemies of democracy. They are going to ruin the nation because these two will not go along with the far left part of the Democratic Party and Joe Biden and essentially, I don't know, remake the welfare state in their own vision. But they're now enemies of democracy. Huh. Overstated a bit, I would think. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. Uh, You know, Saturday Night Live debuted on um, Saturday night. And the ratings, I don't know if it's fair to say that they stunk, but the ratings were were not great. Um, 
the premiere for season 47, man, Saturday Night Live has been around for 47 years, 3.5 million viewers. To give you an idea, that was down from the previous season's premiere, um, 7.5 million. I mean, a dramatic drop in that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Chris Rock was the guest two years ago, and I think he was probably a, a more attractive draw a, as a host. But let's let's face it. You know, One of the other things that was going on back then is you, you had the election season, and you had everybody's favorite whipping boy, at least the favorite, whipping, favorite whipping boy of the media, and at least part of the electorate, that would be President Donald Trump. And the, the fact that Trump is gone, but not forgotten, has had a huge impact on on ratings of like the news TV shows. They're they're down dramatically. I mean, MSNBC, CNN, their ratings are kind of cratering because uh, like him or hate him, Donald Trump, you know, drew lots of attention. If you read, as I do, a number of, of newspapers daily just to try to do the preparation for the show, you, you can tell that newspaper circulation is is struggling. I mean, I, I've talked about this before. The Washington Post, the New York Times, and a handful of other papers essentially became house organs of the Democratic Party during the, the Trump years because, in part, they, they sold newspapers. The, the idea was you had all these people that hated Donald Trump. I mean, hated. That's the word. And so what happened is the, the newspapers realized that the way to generate circulation, the way to get clicks on the, on the websites, the way to sell subscriptions, we want to give our audience what it wants. And that, that is anti-Trump stories. And that's why, you know, even if they liked what Trump did, it would always have a negative spin to it. Well, the problem is that Trump is, is gone now, and it's tougher to keep that attention, which is why it's always so funny to me when I, I look at the paper. Like yesterday, I, I had the New York Times, and as I'm paging through it, I, I swear they still they are they continue to be obsessed with Donald Trump, despite the fact that he's been out of office for you know ten months, nine or ten months now, um, and it's like one story after another, and. Is there a newsworthy component to some of these? Well, well, yeah, but let's also be honest. What they're doing is they're trying to keep that anti-Trump-hating audience that's there because they, they've just got to write these things because, okay, maybe maybe if somebody sees on the front page that there's a story that talks about what a low-life Donald Trump is, maybe that means that the people are going to be more inclined to buy the paper. It's just one of the ways that this works. But I also acknowledge that Trump is a lightning rod, and... This is not a surprise to you if you are a regular listener of this program. I think, for example, 2022 and 2024 are primed primed to potentially be really big years for the Republican Party. Historically, the midterm elections have always been bad for the party in power. That's historically. Plus, let's face it, the Biden administration and things can turn themselves around the Biden administration has been, well, beset with problems. I, I, I was going to use the word disaster. I don't know that that's fair, but it has been beset with problems. You know, you've got the the he had the the honeymoon with the response to COVID. Well, that that's kind of gone downhill as we've been unable to get a handle on on the pandemic. Afghanistan was a complete and total debacle. The goings-on on the border have been a complete and total debacle. The economy, 
Now, who knows where the economy is going to be a year from now, but right now, inflation is coming back. The stock market is tanking. The economy is not going well, and you have a number of other factors as well. Plus, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the infrastructure bills we're talking about as Joe Biden tries to, again, remake this country a la Lyndon Johnson. I I think, again, this is prime 2022 and 2024 are prime to be big years for the Republicans. But there is, no pun intended, a big elephant that's in the room, And, and that elephant is probably the single most divisive figure that I have seen in American politics in all the years that I have been following, participating in, or commenting on American politics, and that is is Donald Trump, because everything comes back to, to Trump. You know, is Trump going to go after Republicans and try to have them defeated in primaries because they didn't support him enough? And if he does that, will that make it harder for the Republicans to win in some of these contested seats? And and what about Donald Trump in general? So here's the headline in the Washington Post. Trump talked out of announcing a 2024 bid for now, settles on a wink and nod unofficial candidacy. And so it. it Here's the first couple paragraphs. As turmoil in Afghanistan reached a crescendo in August, Donald Trump began talking again with advisors about whether he should announce his 2024 campaign for president right away. His advisors responded by urging patience, according to people familiar with discussion, who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity. An announcement would force a reshuffling of his newly formed fundraising apparatus and could complicate his ability to appear on broadcast television without triggering equal time rules. Some of his advisors were concerned that Democrats might use his announcement in their effort to frame the midterm elections around his candidacy, potentially boosting their own turnout and hampering his plans if Republicans fall short next year. In other words, you know, Democrats who ran against Trump in 2020 would use 2022 as an opportunity to run against him again, trying to increase turnout, even though he wasn't on the ballot. Okay, our number. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Trump talked out of announcing a 2020 bid for now. Settles on a wink and nod unofficial candidacy. Do you want to see Donald Trump run again? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My response, and again, I know I go where angels fear to tread on this, is, is not just no. But heck no, exclamation point, exclamation point. I, If Donald Trump wants to, again, stay viable, if he wants to support candidates, if he wants to urge policies, that, that's all well and good. But after four tumultuous years, after the election stuff, after January 6th, I think it's time for President Trump to to move on and to settle into that role of elder statesman and clear the decks for maybe his chosen people, you know, maybe somebody else. But I think it would be disastrous for the Republican Party were Donald Trump to flirt with candidacies in 2022 and run as a candidate in 2024. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so the story in the Washington Post today is that 
Uh, Donald Trump is, he, he was anxious to announce a run for president two months ago. And he said, I, it's, it's time to come out. And his advisors said, no, you, you should hold off on that. But he's apparently at least sending signals that he's all in. I hope not. What do you think? Let's start with Scott in South Milwaukee. Hi, Scott. Um, hey, good, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, um, my take is I don't want to see Donald Trump run for president, and I don't want to see Joe Biden run for president. Reason being is that too much of the politics in Washington right now is being guided and directed, whatever, by by people in their their seventies, eighties, and even into their nineties mm-hmm. who are. And this is in the Senate. This is in the this is in the House. And this is in the, is in the executive branch. What I want to see is I what I want to see is I want to see good candidates who are either who were born in the mid to late sixties, early seventies, whatever. So, i.e., whatever the, the tail end of the baby boom generation, or the early end of, or the early end of, of the generation generation X, right. so that we can get a mindset in Washington that is a better representation of, of current America. New I don't blood. Think people who were born in the thirties and forties are, are valid anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, new new blood. Um, and, and you know, you're you're right on so many different levels. I mean, you've got right now. Biden's economic policy is being driven by by Bernie Sanders, who's, you know, older than dirt, too. I mean, it's where is the young leadership of the Republicans and the Democratic side? I see. I I do agree with you. I'd like to see fresh ideas. And somebody sent me a text saying, Jeff, your idea of the Republican Party is is outdated. Well, okay, that's fine. Give give me different alternatives. Don't give me Donald Trump as the alternative. No, no, yeah, I mean, because you can, like, take that to, like, to the House representative right sure. now is being run by Nancy Pelosi, who's sure. in her 80s. So yeah. in, the, in the U.S. Senate, in the U.S. Senate, what, in the U.S. Senate, whatever, um, Mitch McConnell is, 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 is in his up, upper 70s, early 80s. Those people do not represent current America. Well, I mean, th- thanks for calling. Yeah, no, thanks for, I mean, I was talking about this a week before last. I mean, you, you look at the people that are in the Senate. I mean, Dianne Feinstein, she's 88 years old. Um, you got Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, so we'll make this bipartisan, who's just announced that he's running for another six-year term. He's 88 years old. He'd be 94 when he finished. Um, okay, the guy whose name is escaping me from Vermont, he's 83. He's just announced that he's running again. I mean, at, at some point in time, you, you do need the, this sense of, you know, new blood that's in there. But the, the, the bigger point is, and I understand that, that Donald Trump remains a polarizing figure. There's people that love him and people that hate him. I'm just looking at politics from a practical perspective, and I, I don't believe he can win again if he runs. I, I just I, – I, I don't. As a matter of fact, I think his presence – look, the – I think that one of the things that happened in Wisconsin in 2018, one of the reasons Scott Walker is not now still the governor, is the fact that you know people ran out, turned out, and voted against Donald Trump, and it just happened to be Walker that was on the ballot. I am deathly afraid that that's the way the 2022 campaign is going to run again, whereas if you had new blood, fresh people that are in there, the result would be dramatically different. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Uh, afternoon, Jeff. Um, I'm gonna, you know, disagree and agree with you at the same point in time. Okay. Um, uh, okay. So if Donald Trump gets on the ticket. I think he could win the, you know, uh, primaries. Mm-hmm. The nomination. Um, but he, yeah. So he's gonna get absolutely slaughtered in the general election. Yep. So that's why you need to find somebody else to get on the ticket, like, 
you know, Ron DeSantis. I, right, people, or, that, right. You know, I mean, some I, other name that's. Well, yeah, or they, they should call it Nikki Hale. I mean, I don't know. There, there's all sorts of other candidates that are, that are out there, but I, 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 I agree. I mean, I guess I look at this and say, all right, right, President Trump did not win re-election in 2020, all right? And and I understand there's there's the things, the elections were stolen, but let, let's not go down that rabbit hole for a minute. He remains an incredibly polarizing figure. Explain to me what's going to be different in 2024 when, you know, he, in fact, will be four years older. I mean, I think there's a time when people need to step gracefully off the stage and not not just continue to, I want to run for office because I want to run for office. I want to run for office because I'm mad that I lost last time. I want to run for office because my ego likes flying around in Air Force One or whatever. There's a certain point in time where I think, you know, again, there's a time for people to exit the stage. And I I know that there's some of the fans of Donald Trump that don't like to hear that, but I am a realist. I believe that politics is the art of the possible. I believe it's about finding mainstream from the perspective of the republicans it should be trying to find mainstream conservative candidates who can marry together some of the populist elements of of the the trump presidency and also you know keep i don't know attract suburban women you know attract conservative latino voters and just do away with some of the the chaos that was out there i mean i think joe biden is going to go down in history as not as a great president now things could change but probably not as a great president but really a caretaker president he's going to go down in history as the guy who you know put an end to the chaos by beating donald trump but but beyond that, I think that's pretty much it. And so 2024, I think, is a stage and it's an opportunity for both the Democrats and the Republicans to refit themselves and figure out what that message is going to be, not just for the next four years, but for the next 20 years. And, and that's that's going to be the challenge that's out there. But. I mean, Donald Trump running again in 2024 and announcing it in 2021, that's not helpful to that. At least that's the way I see it. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around.